Greetings, adventure. Welcome to D20 Academy. I am your host, Shiloh Kondashiro, and today is episode 19, Monster Monday, focused on the Lich. Hey guys, welcome back to the third Monster Monday. Um, this is uh, the segment where I kind of spotlight um, a certain monster, and I kind of go over everything about it and how you can use it in your campaign and all that uh, good stuff. Uh, the first two uh, were Mind Flayers and Yuan T, and those were a lot of fun, and so I'm going to continue doing that. Uh, the first Monday of every month uh, will be a new Monster Monday. So, today I'm going to be focusing on one of the most iconic villains in all of D&D, the Lich. Now, I do have a personal connection with this monster, um, which I will get into later. I'm going to start with a brief history of the monster in the past game revisions, what inspired its conception and such. Go on to like its appearance, its abilities, its culture, and uh, it's it kind of the story surrounding it and stuff. Um, I'll go to like how to incorporate this monster into your games, and then of course end with some of my personal experience uh, with the monster. And in particular this one, uh, more than any of the other monsters that I focused on at Monster Monday, uh, does have quite uh, a personal connection to me. So let's uh, let's get into it. Okay, let's start with uh, kind of like the, the brief history of them, kind of the revisions over time and such. Um, um, real quick, a, a, a quick breakdown of liches, if you're not sure what they are. Um, liches are these powerful spellcasters um, who have attained um, undeath, kind of immortality, uh, to continue their devious plots and schemes um, even after death. They stay living by feeding uh, their victims' souls to a special artifact called a phylactery. Now, the word lich um, is actually an archaic term for corpse. And so lich has been used in literature and such uh, as a synonym for corpse uh, for, you know, for decades. Um, but lich only started referring to these these undead mages uh, actually from D&D. Uh, this is now a, a staple in fantasy pop culture. Um, liches as, the, as these undead mages and, uh, you know, these kind of powerful zombie wizards, um, but it's actually started uh, from D&D, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, the Lich has actually become uh, pretty, pretty popular in pop culture nowadays. Uh, most notably, uh, the Lich is the antagonist from Adventure Time. Um, it's this character called the Lich, and also I think there's like a Lich King or something from, from World of Warcraft. Um, notably, uh, both Adventure Time and World of Warcraft are, of course, based on D&D. Um, the creators of Adventure Time have said that like the show is based around uh, Dungeons and Dragons and when they used to play the game when they were young. And World of Warcraft is, of course, a fantasy role-playing game, uh, just like Dungeons and Dragons. So in the original uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, edition, the, the first game that was released, uh, Gary Gygax and Robert Kuntz, uh, they created a kind of a supplement campaign setting um, for the world of Greyhawk. Now, if you're not aware uh, of Greyhawk, uh, it's kind of one of the most famous... Um, campaign settings for Dungeons and Dragons, the most famous obviously being the Forgotten Realms, and then there's uh, kind of secondary ones like Greyhawk, Eberron, um, Ravenloft, and uh, so they, in the, for the original Dungeons and Dragons game, uh, they created this this supplement uh, for Greyhawk if you wanted to play your, your D&D games in the world of Greyhawk, and the Lich appeared for the first time there. Um, the Lich was essentially what it is still now. Um, this powerful undead mage um, who kind of feeds souls to phylactery. Um, the Lich appeared in more detail, though, in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition, 
and also its first variant, uh, its first variant, the Demolich, uh, which I will get into later, also appeared in the release of the infamous Tomb of Horrors supplement. Um, if you're not sure what that is, it's this very famous uh, dungeon um, that was released for Dungeons and Dragons for you know like a one shot or, or for you to put into your campaign. Uh, it's really deadly and really hard to get through and requires pretty high level characters. Um, and it's kind of become this kind of iconic dungeon, uh, like like TPK's parties and such. Um, what's really cool is actually kind of side tangent in Fifth Edition, they released a book called um, I believe I actually have it up here, Tales from the Yawning Portal, um, which is a collection of different dungeons and adventures uh, being reprinted from older editions into Fifth Edition. And Tomb of Horrors is one of those, which is really cool. So the Demi Lich, which is one of the Lich variants, uh, actually appeared for the first time in Tomb of Horrors for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition. The Lich also appeared in every edition of the game since then. Um, also, some other variants have been included and added over time, and so it's kind of become a, a D and D staple, um, along with like Mind Flayers and Beholders and such. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the the kind of history of the Lich. Um, it is not. Uh, like the most iconic Dungeons Dragons uh, villain at all, um, but it has kind of risen in popularity um, due to you know fantasy pop culture like Adventure Time and World of Warcraft and such. Uh, and um, I think a, a lot of like D and D campaigns and stuff has been into focus on having liches as main antagonists or uh, story points um, about that. So uh, yeah, that's that, and uh, let's get into kind of the appearance of them. So liches are undead humanoids so they resemble like mummified zombified versions of their past self right so typically like any humanoid can attain lichdom right a human most commonly or like an elf you know even a dwarf whatever um just some kind of intelligent humanoid who wants to who is who you know is powerful enough to be able to spell cast and uh wants to you know go into undeath and become immortal so because of this they're you know, undead creatures, they're skeletal bony, they have, like, withered flesh, sparse, or, like, just altogether missing hair. Um, so some of the original descriptions, um, and some even, uh, um, modern descriptions of liches have their eyes, um, as, like, these orbs of burning light, um, and, uh, the, the classic lich also wears, like, old musty robes and, and jewelry, uh, kind of relics of, of the time when they used to live, of when they were royalty or powerful mages. Um, but a lich can, like other humanoids, just wear, you know, about anything. Um, though I, I, I assume, you know, it depends on the lich, so they probably prefer mages' robes and kind of expensive things and such. Um, obviously, it, it all depends on, on the lich. Um, so I'm just going to real quick run over the statistics of a lich just so you kind of get a, an idea of it. Not going to get into the nitty-gritty of the numbers and everything, um, but just kind of give a quick overview of, of the statistics. Um, so liches in 5th in edition... They are challenge rating 21, um, which makes them a powerful and formidable foe, only to be faced by a strong party. Um, 30 is the max challenge rating in 5th edition, so 21 is is pretty strong. Um, liches in 5th edition are said to be of any evil alignment. They're medium undead, and then the alignment just says any evil alignment. So while most liches are dark, plotting masterminds who take hundreds of years to scheme and plan... Um, which would make them lawful ordered creatures, right? Um, that's kind of the typical lich, the iconic lich. is like uh, some kind of leader and commander who has a structured way 
of uh, protecting the phylactery and has a plan to take over the world or whatever. Um, the idea of like a chaotic evil wizard who attained immortality just to cause chaos and violence forever is absolutely terrifying and awesome and a really good idea for a villain. Um, so when I first I was like, oh, any evil alignment, that sounds weird. Shouldn't they just all be lawful evil? Um, I guess there is the case where uh, there could be a chaotic evil lich and that is really cool actually and a cool idea. So if you wanna, if you're planning on using a, a lich in your campaign or your story, if you're a dungeon master, um, that could be an interesting take on 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 the classic uh, lich trope, necromancer trope. Um, liches in fifth edition have an okay armor class. It's seventeen. Um, it's you know it's 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 all right when they're gonna be fighting a like when you have a party who's gonna be the right enough level to face a lich. Um, that they're probably all gonna hit most of their attacks, but. Um, you know, it's it's a nice, not a bad armor class. They also have quite low uh, hit points, as they are frail, wizard-like humanoids. And they don't have any, like, melee combat skills or anything. Um, so they do kind of have a low armor class and, and hit point maximum. They also have low strength and wisdom. Uh, they do have above-average dexterity, constitution, and charisma, uh, and, of course, high intelligence. Um, the, the idea being that not only is intelligence their spellcasting modifier because... Uh, you know what they used to cast spells because they were once wizards and they're you know they're mages, um, but that they've you know they're they're learned, uh, kind of ancient wizards who have lots of knowledge, and you know have a lot of knowledge about the world and dark spells and necromancy and such, um, so they would have high intelligence. Um, me personally, um, I don't fully agree with these stats. Um, I believe uh, liches should actually have a lower constitution since they're undead, decaying creatures, and they should actually have a higher wisdom. I think they have, like, a wisdom of 12 or something. Uh, I think they should have higher than that because I feel like being alive for so long, for centuries or millennia, they would have gained so much more experience and cunning, and I think having a high wisdom would kind of reflect that. Uh, you know, because they do have a high intelligence for all their knowledge and what they've learned, but I think having a high wisdom uh, would also kind of reflect them, you know, living for a long time and having gained um, lots of, like, cunning and, and, you know, instinct and smarts. Um, they have some basic damage immunities and resistances to, like, you know, kind of the dark types of damages, cold, lightning, necrotic, and, you know, immunity to, like, attacks from non-magical weapons, like most high-level monsters. Um, also, Lichers notably do have true sight for 120 feet. Um, not only a description anywhere of, like, where this kind of comes from, um, but I guess they're just really powerful mages and they kind of can kind of see through illusions and such, uh, which is pretty interesting. Um, so I, I, do, I do like the the uh, the 120 feet uh, true sight for liches. Uh, makes them a little more uh, formidable. Uh, of course, they have legendary resistance. Uh, they have three uses of this, which means anytime they fail a saving throw, they can choose an, instead to succeed it uh, and expend one of the three uses. Um, liches are legendary creatures, so they do have legendary resistance. Um, real quick, if you're not aware of what a legendary creature is, um, some of the most like powerful monsters and villains in Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition are called legendary creatures, and these creatures have special things like legendary resistance and can also take special actions during the other players' turns, called legendary actions, which I will get to in a second. Um, and so, a legendary creature in Fifth Edition is just kind of one that is really powerful, or you know, kind of like would be like a main villain or something. Um, they do also have a little rejuvenation ability, which allows their body to reform at their phylactery if their body is killed. 
meaning that yes, you do have to destroy Phylactery before killing a Lich, otherwise it'll just keep coming back. So they do have that little ability. Um, Liches are 18th level spellcasters, and they use spells as their main source of damage and effects. Um, depending on your party and how powerful they are when they face a Lich, I think you should change up the spells that, that the Lich has in the Monster Manual. Um, for ones that kind of do more area damage, have effects other than just dealing straight damage. Um, and, and also, they can cast cantrips as a legendary action, so giving them Firebolt or Eldritch Blast instead of Ray of Frost as the damaging cantrip, because Firebolt and Eldritch Blast are just better uh, damaging cantrips, and also uh, the Blade Ward cantrip, um, which I will get into how incredibly clutch that is uh, in, in a second. Um, they only have one action uh, in, in kind of the action section, one attack they can take, which is called Paralyzing Touch, which is a melee spell attack. Uh, it's like plus 16 to hit or something, or plus 12 to hit maybe, which is pretty good. And it deals uh, cold damage, and then it, it the target has to make a con save, or is like paralyzed for a minute. Um, you will probably never use the paralyzing touch attack, um, because typically you're going to want uh, to be dealing, you know, casting the much more powerful and more effective and interesting spells. Um, but I guess in the case of where the Lich would save his reaction to do an opportunity attack against someone, the Paralyzing Touch is pretty good there. Um, but mostly uh, a, a Lich would be saving their reaction to do something, cast something like Shield or Counterspell. Um, so the legendary actions that a Lich have includes casting cantrips, using the Paralyzing Touch attack, uh, an effect which frightens creatures around them, and an effect that deals burst damage um, to a group of creatures who are not undead. Um, most notably the party, um, if, if, if they're fighting. Um, so real quick on the cantrip, so, so the Lich has three legendary actions, right? And it can take a legendary action at the end of another creature's turns, and it regains all legendary actions at the beginning of its own turn. Um, so, so the reason legendary actions kind of exist in the game, I may talk about this more later, um, but they're a way for the villain to keep on having effects during not just their turn, but during the whole round of combat in between the other players' turns, uh, keeping them formidable and uh, stuff. And I honestly like the, the system pretty well. There are some kind of flaws in it and stuff. There's a big discussion uh, in the Dungeons Giants community about legendary actions and legendary creatures in general and how they should function and stuff. Um, but, but I think for the Lich, it, it works uh, fairly well. So because he can expend one of these three legendary actions to cast a cantrip, um, I think you should give the Lich one of like the Firebolt or Eldritch Blast and Blade Ward as cantrips available to him. Um, now, Firebolt or Eldritch Blast are obviously just pretty high damage uh, good cantrips. Eldritch Blast is like the best damage cantrip uh, in the game. And so, you know, being able to put more damage output throughout the whole round is really good. But also, Blade Ward is a really, really good cantrip. Um, Blade Ward takes an action and it gives the caster resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage to the beginning of their next turn. So, while the Lich, during his turn, can use his action to cast something more powerful, like Disintegration or Fireball or something like that, um, for one of his legendary actions, uh, at the end of another creature's turn, he can use he can cast Blade Ward on himself, which means he'll resist all the damage of all the weapon attacks um, from any from any of his adversaries up until the beginning of his next turn, and he can do this as many times as he wants. Uh, it only takes one legendary action of the three he has, and Blade Ward is a cantrip, so he will never run out of them. Um, this really this is a quite strong uh, ability. Um, because it bypasses, like, even magical weapons, it still has the damage from them, 
and it makes all like the barbarians and fighters and rogues and all the kind of weapon attackers in the party um, a little less uh, useful in, in the battle, um, which is really good because the lich, like I said, has low armor and low hit points, and so can really quickly get uh, get killed by these kind of more melee weapon fighters. Um, so being able to just cast Blade Ward every single round and have all that weapon damage uh, is really powerful. Um, but of course, you know, you want to make sure to gauge the level of your party when they're facing the Lich, and obviously you don't want to make the Lich too powerful or anything, um, you know, depending, so he doesn't, you know, kill the entire party or whatever, unless that's what you're going for. Um, so yeah, that's kind of his 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 statistics. Um, and now I'll kind of talk about the, uh, the variants of, of the Lich. There have been um, a couple different variants uh, to the Lich over time, uh, kind of different versions, um, mostly in campaign setting supplements like Greyhawk or, or Eberron or something like that. Um, the most notable, the most famous, is the Demi-Lich, uh, which actually has its own stat block in the 5th edition Monster Manual. Uh, a Demi-Lich is like a floating skull. It, it's like the remnant of a Lich who has failed to feed enough souls to its phylactery. So after a period of time and the Lich hasn't fed any souls to the phylactery, then uh, the they will kind of lose their physical form and just turn into this floating skull uh, who is less powerful than the Lich in, in you know their full form. If you're still kind of confused, by the way, about the phylactery and what that all means, I am going to get uh, into that uh, later on in the episode. So don't, don't worry about that. So though the Demi Liches are actually still pretty powerful enemies, I think they're challenge rating 18 or something, um, they can't really do much except protect their phylacteries. Um, once they're able to feed a soul to the phylactery, they regain their form as a regular lich. Um, but they're not super strong and are mostly just going to be used to just protect their own phylacteries so they don't, you know, they're not killed forever. Their most iconic ability is this blood-curdling howl uh, that either drops enemies to unconsciousness instantly or at least leaves them frightened, um, which is, you know, a pretty powerful ability and depending on how the dice go could like lead to a TPK. So make sure if you're using a demi lich, you know what you're doing um, because things could go bad for the party really quickly. <laughs> um, it also has some abilities that drain enemies of hit points and then one that kind of curses an enemy and makes him like have disadvantage in his attacks and skill checks or something. Um, so not can't cast spells, not really as cool as a lich, um, but yeah, if you want kind of a, a lower level um, lich enemy, uh, you can use the Demi-Lich. Just be careful of the Howl ability, um, because depending, you know, on how lucky your players are, that could not go super well. An another variant um, of the Lich, which does not appear in 5th edition, is the Bane Lich, um, which is a clerical Lich who serves the, uh, the god Bane from the Forgotten Realms world. Um, so obviously Bane Liches can only exist in universes where there is the god Bane, like the Forgotten Realms. Um, but I think the concept of a lich serving a greater, greater evil or god, um, even in its powerful form, uh, is a really interesting idea you can play around with. Um, because liches are most iconically wizards and mages um, who, you know, kind of have kind of sort of become gods themselves or attaining immortality and completing their thousand-year-old schemes. Um, but instead, having, having a lich being a cleric, actually, and serving um, a sort of god is also kind of an interesting concept, kind of being the um, the the you know the hand of of that god in 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 the world and doing their bidding I, I think that's really interesting kind of putting a religious clerical twist uh, on a lich so while they don't have to serve bane in the forgotten realms uh i just think that concept is pretty interesting um introduced in third edition was the extremely rare uh good lich 
who is, yes, not a lich that is evil, but instead a lich that is good. Uh, they desire to, like, live on for, you know, for eternity to, like, protect a loved one or complete a righteous goal. Um, so, yes, these liches have attained liches in, instead to complete a, a, a good, you know, for a good cause and, and to complete a good goal instead of uh, one that's inherently evil. Um, I assume that there's not much information I've been able to find on good liches, um, and I didn't, I didn't encounter them. Uh, I never played third edition. I assume most good liches eventually fall to evil, as the very essence of being a lich is darkness, and also you have to murder and feed souls into a phylactery, um, which is, you know, a bad thing to do. You shouldn't kill people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, good liches I hadn't really heard of before I started researching uh, for this episode. I, I think it's a really interesting concept, and I think having a villain... Uh, if your villain is a lich, if they started out as a good lich, like trying to do the right thing, but because of the essence of what the creature is and what they have to do to stay alive, they've slowly succumbed to darkness and become an evil lich. And I think that's that's really interesting uh, to play around with. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the different variants of the lich. Uh, now let's kind of get into like the history and the origin, uh, not here in real life about like first and second edition, but in 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 fiction in the world, what's, how does kind of their culture work and all that. Okay, so what differentiates liches from the other two monsters I focused on in the podcast, um, being Mind Flayers and Yuanti, if you hadn't checked those Monster Monday videos, uh, sorry, podcasts out, uh, go listen to those. Um, I, I did a lot of work on those, and, and I really like them. Um, so what differentiates the lich from those two monsters is liches are not a race of creatures with their own culture and society. Mind Flayers and Yuanti are both these different races of monsters, and, you know, they have their own origin story and their own kind of culture and their own societies and cities and all that. Um, liches are just once living beings of any humanoid race and background who have achieved undeath to continue their goals. So they don't like live in like, you know, there might be maybe like a like a, a collection of liches in some kind of order or something, which is actually terrifying. Um, or, you know, typically like they just they just are still similar to the humanoid that they once were. Um and have just, you know, achieved undeath so that they can they can take over the world or whatever they're trying to do. Um, so I just want to point out that that is the difference to them a little, you know, a little bit with, like, the other monsters that I've focused on, um, is that they're not their own race of monsters. Uh, it's 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 a monster that has been created um, by, by, by someone who was, you know, who was trying to continue living as a powerful wizard. Now, typically, liches make packs with dark beings or demon lords um, to obtain, like, the spell to bind them to a phylactery or the ingredients of the potion that turns them into a lich, um, whatever. Depending on your campaign setting and story, um, you know, the way of becoming a lich or the way of creating a phylactery, whatever, will probably differ. If you're a dungeon master, do whatever you think works best. Um, pull inspiration from any anything you want. Uh, I think in the monster manual, kind of describes them making deals with, like, dark beings... And there's something about, like, drinking a potion to kill yourself and rise again as a lich or something. I'm not super sure, but, you know, you just can, you can kind of do what you want. Kind of be a little creative uh, with that. Um, you know, maybe lich has to, like, find an old spell book to find this information. Or un uncover some sort of artifact that can only be a phylactery or something. I, I don't know. Um, but basically, once the lich has chosen an item, it's usually something small like an amulet or a totem. And typically something personal to the lich. Uh, once they've chosen this item to be their phylactery... Uh, they bind their soul with it, and then they rise as a lich, and they must peri periodically feed souls of people into the phylactery uh, so that they can keep their powerful undead form. 
So the phylactery is a like an item, like an artifact that is binded to the to the lich, and and that the lich feeds souls to, so that it can keep uh, being a lich. Now this forces most liches to protect their phylacteries at all costs, because once their phylactery is destroyed, uh, the lich can never rise again. Uh, so after the phylactery is destroyed, and then the lich is killed, the lich will never uh, come back to life, and it's dead forever. Um, so they want to protect these phylacteries at all costs. So typically they'll gather kind of hordes of minions and construct dangerous layers um, to kind of protect these things. Um, the more powerful the lich, the more complicated the ritual of destroying the phylactery. Now, nowhere really in Dungeons and Dragons lore, um, and definitely nothing I found in 5th edition, details what is required to destroy a phylactery. Maybe it's just an item that has armor class and hit points, and you just have to whack it with a sword until it just breaks. I guess that's a way to do it. But personally, I find it, uh, you know, creating a whole adventure out of having to figure out the ritual or the method to having destroy this particular phylactery. Um, it may take adventurers many trials and quests to figure out the ritual, gather the items, and finally find and then destroy the phylactery itself. Um, so play around with that. Definitely, uh, if if the lich is your BBEG, uh, right, like the kind of main antagonist of your campaign, or some sort of minor villain in your campaign, uh, turning the, the the destruction of the phylactery into like this whole quest and adventure um, can be really cool and uh, really interesting. Um, and, you know, make the lich that much more menacing and harder to defeat. Now, the life of a lich is one of isolation and loneliness. Um, first off, they're paranoid um, of anyone trying to touch their phylactery. Um, obviously, them being killed is not too much of a problem because they'll just reform at their phylactery again. Um, but still, um, they, they don't like to you know keep anyone close or whatever. Of course, they do collect some minions and enthrall other beings to like protect their lair or find and kill victims to feed their phylactery. Um, but they usually either get uh, mindless creatures or turn uh, intelligent creatures into vegetables so they don't you know try to destroy the phylactery or anything, don't turn on a lich. So typically, liches don't really interact with other intelligent humanoids or anything like that unless they're taking over their kingdom to take all their people and feed them to the phylactery. Um, so this can lead liches to become more insane and more inhuman than other villains just because they're wrapped up in this paranoia of protecting their phylactery, completing their goal, murdering and feeding souls into it, and not really interacting with any other uh, people uh, can kind of lead them to become more kind of crazy and inhumane, um, which is, uh, you know, which is a little terrifying, um, but, you know, it can kind of tie into a lich's personality. Um, so... While liches do care most about protecting the phylactery, and like I said, don't care too much about their physical forms because they'll just, you know, come back to life again, uh, they do like to protect themselves, and because of their low armor and health, typically travel with a collection of bodyguards. Um, so, some kind of minions or monsters that protect them or something. Um, obviously, the, the, the concentration of these, these monsters would be at the lair to protect the phylactery, um, but they probably travel with their own minions and stuff um, because of their low armor and health. So this is a note for a dungeon master. Liches have high damage output. Um, they deal lots of damage and have really powerful effects uh, and spells that they can cast on their turn. But they can die very quickly. So it's hard to kind of find the balance um, because you want to have players who will be able to, you know, survive the, the lich's spells without getting outright killed immediately. Um, but also, 
Uh, you don't want them to be too strong to just kill your lich in one hit before the lich is able to even cast a single spell, right? Which is why liches need to be surrounded by other creatures and other monsters. So if the, the lich has other minions around it who can help protect it and serve as other foes for the heroes, it can balance things out a bit more. Those things will have more hit points, more armor, um, can soak up the melee attacks and, and such, um, while the lich takes few damage and still does its high damage output, and it can still and it can kind of balance out uh, the encounter. So if you are going to have an encounter with a lich, either give the lich much higher armor class or health or some kind of defense mechanism, or arm it with um, a bunch of minions um, who can help make the battle more interesting and balance out um, the power level. Now, one thing to note about liches, um, kind of the most important thing, almost anyone who attains lichdom has a goal, right? A reason for attaining undeath and immortality, something that they didn't complete in life or didn't even realize that they needed to do in life. Uh, maybe it's something as big and scoping as world domination or world destruction. Uh, maybe it's something smaller and more personal like revenge. But liches need to have a purpose for becoming liches. It takes a lot of work to get the phylactery and do that whole ritual and all of that. And so, you know, the the reason to be to become a lich has to be strong. They self-has a goal that they're trying to complete um, that would just take too long for them to complete uh, in in their regular life as a mortal. So if you're designing a lich, if you're Dungeon Master designing a lich as a villain, make sure you have this goal clearly defined and have it, you know, come into conflict with what the players are trying to do. I'll get more into how to incorporate a lich in your campaign in a second. Um, but just, you know, make sure liches don't just become liches for fun. Um, they typically have a goal, even if it's not this lawful evil one trying to dominate the world. And it is this chaotic evil lich who's just trying to just cause chaos and violence wherever it goes. That's still a goal, and they probably still have plans and something. So, you know, make sure that the lich, liches in your world do have a reason for becoming liches. Okay, real quick, I'm just going to talk about a lich's lair. Um, a, a lich's lair can vary. Um, but it's most likely a location where the Lich can securely hide and protect his phylactery. Um, they might choose the lair to be like the castle or tower they once inhabited when they were mortals, or maybe some sort of like hidden ruins or caves that are hard to track down. Um, but this this lair should be something um, that is dangerous and interesting and unexpected, and uh, you know you can run adventures through this lair with through like stealth missions and strategic combat and traps and events make it similar to like a dungeon crawl uh through this layer um it just just make the layer layer you know really interesting and cool and of course relevant to the story relevant to the lich um because you know having adventures kind of run through this dungeon run through this layer um could be a lot of fun and, uh, and can you know lead to some really cool encounters and such so you know typically all liches have a layer somewhere where they can protect their phylactery somewhere where they can have a base of operations where they can gather forces and such um, so just just keep that in mind. Most legendary creatures do have a lair, uh, like vampires, beholders, and such. Um, so if I do ever focus on any of those, I'll also be talking about layers with them. Um, but yeah. So um, now let's kind of get into campaign integration. How uh, to put liches into your campaign. So liches make just perfect campaign villains and antagonists. Um, now if you're not familiar with the term BBEG, it stands for a big bad evil guy. Uh, and is the term that references, like, the main antagonist for your entire D&D campaign. Um, so liches make great BBEGs, um, or even maybe smaller villains for a subplot. 
um, but they are a great singular villain uh, to conflict with your party. They're powerful, terrifying, mysterious, and are a constant threat. Uh, right until their phylactery is destroyed. They can keep coming after the party, keep encountering the party, and even if they lose, they can just reform, come back more powerful, um, you know, as they gain more information about the party, gain, learn their weaknesses and such, and can be a constant threat until the players go destroy the phylactery and kill the lich. Now, liches provide a story hook and adventure all in themselves, right? Like finding the phylactery, discovering the ritual required to destroy it, getting the materials to do it, actually destroying it, and then killing the lich once and for all. is this whole conglomerate of, of stories and adventures um, that just come with a lich, um, which is really, really cool. Um, so while you should incorporate them into your story, incorporate them having their big goal, building an army or taking over people or owning slaves or something, you know, they do have this whole adventure that, that can be attached with a lich, which is this whole thing of having to go to store the phylactery, um, which is really cool and really interesting. Liches also provide for a really great combat because of their versatile spellcasting and the diverse kind of posse of bodyguards that might accompany them. Now, a lot of monsters uh, in 5th in edition in the Monster Manual um, are can get laborious uh, and boring really quickly. If you've DM'd for a while now, um, or you've played a lot of encounters uh, with 5th edition monsters, they all kind of get the same. They just kind of move to the nearest enemy, and they attack with claws or bites or a sword or something, and then they take hits, and then maybe they have some cool effect, some kind of aura or something that does something, but it can get a little monotonous and boring. Liches are really interesting because they can cast spells, right? Spellcasting is one of the most versatile and diverse things about Dungeons & Dragons um, in 5th edition, right? A party with a spellcaster um, can do so much stuff, right? There's spells, yes, for dealing damage, but also for enchanting people and raising armies from the dead and creating walls and, you know, making you fly and creating illusions and turning you invisible, and there's so many spells that allow for so much versatility uh, in the game. So liches provide for great fresh combat um, because of their spell casting, And of course, um, change up all the spells in their spell list if you would like, um, so it fits your campaign, fits your playstyle, um, makes combat uh, more interesting. And also, of course, their bodyguards. Um, it, might, it might just be those kind of same basic guys who just punch and kick um, with high HP and high armor. Um, but, you know, you could also really make their, their, their bodyguards really interesting. Um, for example, like, like a shield guardian, right? Which does just kind of punch and kick. Um, but is connected to the lich and will take half the damage and is actively trying to protect the lich. Um, you know, having some kind of assassins or rangers or archers or, you know, kind of creating this diverse, uh, posse of bodyguards that the lich would care, would, would take with them, uh, to protect themselves against their own kind of situation is really interesting. Um, one, one idea is to kind of have the Lich and their bodyguards mirror the party in the sense that there's maybe like one or two like tanks, uh, big high hit point uh, melee fighters. There's kind of like a, a sneaky uh, high damage output rogue. The Lich can kind of serve as like the wizard. Maybe there's some kind of healer or priest. Um, because the Lich can like take over and enthrall so many different kinds of beings, their posse doesn't have to be made up of just one race of creatures or like just demons or something, right? It can be any, any kind of creatures. So really play around with that and really make an interesting uh, uh, makeup of, of that group. Um, and I think the idea of like kind of conflicting directly with like another kind of adventuring party mechanic um, would be really interesting. Now, um, because Liches can live for centuries and millennia, 
Uh, it can also be kind of interesting uh, in your campaign to have them appear in history and play part in big events in the past, right? Because they keep on living as long as they keep on feeding souls to the phylactery and the phylactery doesn't get destroyed, um, they could live for like so many years. So before your campaign even starts, they could already be a big player um, in wars or other events or cataclysmic things um, in the past. And so we're already like a recognized threat and already uh, someone who's ingrained in the history and has already had an impact on the world, um, which is also pretty interesting and cool that you can't do uh, with a bunch of, with, with really uh, a lot of other monsters uh, because, you know, they can't all live forever. Now, like I talked about before, the most important part of having a BBG or antagonist, especially with a Lich, is to define their ultimate goal and their workings to complete that goal. Now, does the party have to foil them before they complete this goal? Does the party have to reverse the effects of a Lich who's already completed the goal? That's up to you and the dice. But Liches especially, you know, all antagonists really should, but, you know, have some sort of goal. Maybe it's big and scoping, like world domination. Once again, maybe it's something personal, like revenge or love or something like that. Um, play around with it, make it dynamic, make it conflict directly with the party's goals, um, when when your your enemy has this kind of goal that they're constantly trying to complete, uh, it can lead to uh, the, the 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 you know the main antagonist and the party constantly bumping heads, constantly coming into conflict. Maybe like a race for materials or a race for something uh, because maybe they both have kind of like a similar goal. Um, just make it really interesting, um, and uh, you know that can really help drive the campaign, keep it on the rails, um, keep the story moving forward and the pacing good. Um, if the players are constantly having to make sure the Lich doesn't complete their goal or race to this thing before the Lich gets to it and such. Um, so that is something that can be really useful and uh, is, uh, you know, really important when you have a Lich as an antagonist or a BBG, which you should. Um, I don't think Liches make good random encounter villains or throwaway encounter villains. Um, liches should be planned important figures. They don't have to be the, the, the big bad evil guy. They don't have to be the main antagonist, but some sort of like small sp subplot antagonist or something. They need to have an impact on the game because just their power and the way they function, everything uh, is just designed around them constantly coming back and um, being a big villain for the heroes. I don't think you should ever use a lich in a random encounter or a throwaway encounter or anything like that. Um, they just don't perform well in there. They're not super interesting like that. They're most interesting when you can set them up as villains, set them up as antagonists, um, or maybe even allies, um, and, you know, kind of set them up in that way. One interesting mechanic or kind of concept is the idea of a nonpartisan lich, right? So maybe the party already has their goal. There's already this other BBEG that they're trying to face off against, and this lich is kind of a third party, someone with lots of power, lots of influence, lots of resources, who is going to provide their help to the highest bidder. So maybe the, the, the party has to temporarily team up with them um, or ask for their aid in having to defeat this other bigger evil, not knowing if the Lich might ever betray them or something. And that can kind of set up this secondary antagonist kind of ally, question mark, um, nonpartisan uh, character, which would be really cool. This definitely works for a Lich who's themed around kind of a shaman or a witch Maybe, like, has a layer in a swamp or something. Um, who, you know, maybe has some powerful spell or powerful army or something that the heroes or maybe the big villain might need. And so they're, you know, they might 
team up with the allies. They might betray the allies. Uh, sorry, the heroes. Who knows, right? So that could be also really, really interesting uh, character um, if, if you want to have a lich in your campaign. All right, now we're going to finish off with my personal experience um, with liches. So I have a very personal connection to liches. Um, as a lich was the BBEG of the long two and a half year campaign I've been running. Now, I say was because actually just in yesterday's session, uh, the party finally defeated him. Um, he's been antagonizing them for two years, and after going along the, the long process to find and destroy Phylactery, they faced him in, in battle and won. Now, this specific lich that I designed for my campaign uh, lived in the northern winterlands of my world uh, in an abandoned manor in a long-forgotten kingdom. So his lair was this creepy old manor. He was in command of clans of frost giants, and he even actually had like a white dragon ally. And eventually he summoned hordes of demons and devils and an army from another continent to wage war against the good guys. Now, his phylactery was a spellbook uh, that was special to him because it was how he first learned spellcasting. Um, and uh, his goal was, his, 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 you know, his, his main goal, right, this, this important goal that he had, was collecting these powerful artifacts from around the land and then sacrificing them in a ritual to call down a great extra-dimensional being um, who, together with the being, uh, the lich would help shape this new world that he, that, he, that he saw that he wanted. And the heroes had to stop this. Um, now, this lich also had the, kind of this motif of like a shattered crown, and his background was beginning to get intertwined with some of the, the heroes that was revealed. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was really interesting. It was really cool. Um, in the beginning of the campaign, um, him and the manor were like this mysterious, creepy presence that the party encountered, and they didn't really know what was going on yet. And then as they investigated this manor, as they investigated this disturbance, they discovered his plots and schemes, and they went on some adventures. Uh, kind of in this race with him to collect these artifacts before he did, then protect these artifacts, then take back these artifacts so he couldn't collect all of them and, you know, call down this this great being. And it ends in this big war uh, where they finally just killed him uh, in, in yesterday's session. Um, so, yeah, that, that I've so I've been running uh, Lich as the BBEG of my campaign uh, for a long time now, so I'm pretty familiar with the creature. I've made multiple iterations of his stat block and such, um, for the different times that he's encountered them and gotten more powerful as they've gotten more powerful. Um, the final one that they just fought, I believe their level is 17 to 19 uh, now that they've fought him. His challenge rating is 30. He's way more powerful than the Lich in the Monster Manual. Um, has all these other cool items and such that he's collected over time. Um, it, was, it was a really cool battle. It was really fun. Um, but yeah, so so a Lich was the villain for my, camp, for, for my campaign. Um, and... So I'm very familiar with him having him um, as the BBG, having Lich as BBG, and I think it works great. Um, him in and his goal about like collecting these things and this race against the players um, really helps keep the campaign um, focused and kept the, the pace moving uh, and kept the game exciting uh, and this constant back and forth, um, which is which is really good and, and, and really exciting. Um, it also allowed me to kind of in the beginning, first when they were kind of discovering what was going on, adding this kind of creepy horror. Um, side to the campaign, and yeah, f it was just it was just really fun, and then I was able to kind of time into some of the characters' backstories and such, and uh, he, he ended up being a pretty interesting villain, a pretty cool BBEG. Um, so that's kind of my personal experience. Uh, I've had more experience with the Lich than probably like any other monster um, in, in the game, but uh, yeah, so I, I am pretty familiar with Liches, and I think they do they do make uh, great BBEGs, great villains, uh, and yeah. Okay, so that brings us to the end 
of uh, today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. If you, if you listened all the way through to here um, for, for sticking in, I hope you learned a lot. I hope uh, you got inspired. Um, maybe if you're not even going to use a lich, if you're a dungeon master, you're not even going to use a lich in your campaign, hopefully you got inspired to do something. Um, hopefully uh, you learned something uh, um, you know, about monsters or uh, anything that you didn't know before. Um, it, this one was a lot of fun making, uh, definitely because I had a lot of experience with liches in my own campaign. And, um, yeah, so once again, uh, you can follow uh, the, the podcast um, on Instagram at d20academy. Um, it could be also at d20academypodcast. I keep forgetting to look, um, and I don't remember which one it is. But I'm posting updates and all that kind of stuff there about what's going on with the podcast and the future episodes and all that. Um, so you can go ahead and give that a follow on Instagram uh, to get all that information. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I believe next week, I, I can't really say, I don't think I can really say what the, what the, what the episode's going to be, um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, uh, next month, uh, the first Monday of next month, uh, will be the next uh, Monster Monday, uh, which is also going to be a really exciting monster that I'm really looking forward to making an episode about. So, thank you so much for listening. I uh, hope you have a great day.